0: page 1202, and in the middle of your bulletin, there will be an outline uh, for you to follow the sermon and to make any notes. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we are thank you for your word that speaks to us our salvation, and thank you for your word that teaches us how to respond to your grace. Please help us to bear with your instructions and pay attention to your good commandments. Amen today's sermon on hebrews chapter 13 uh, will be quite different from the previous 12 chapters of it Uh, this is because as we have read uh, the passage is mainly a series of instructions it's all about what we should do and what we should not do and well this instruction is something that we cannot avoid when we are studying the bible uh, because studying the bible is very different from other knowledge Uh, knowing other type of knowledge does not necessarily mean that you have to do something about it. Uh, for instance, if you learn mathematics uh, 20 times 20, if your math is good, uh, it's 400, uh, it is knowledge that you can acquire, but you don't have to do anything about it. But it is altogether different with the Bible. Once you learn from it, we must do something about it. Why? Because it is a knowledge about the Creator God. It is about knowing that he is the author of our life and if this god says that these instructions are good for us that we should do them then we must do it Uh, if not it means that we have not really known that he is our god and there's another point as we approach hebrews chapter 13 uh, which is that it is only in the last chapter that the author wrote a list of what we should do But in the previous 12 chapters all the author talks about is mainly what god has done for us first and only then he added how we should respond to what god has done and so if you can summarize in the previous 12 chapters of hebrews the main points about what the author says about what god has done for us is that god has cleansed our sins through jesus who is a perfect high priest and a perfect sacrifice And it's by that it allows us to come truly near to God, so that in the end we can receive that eternal, unshakable kingdom. And so in chapter twelve, verse twenty eight, the author summarizes and says, Because of that, plus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And therefore, he continued in chapter 13 uh, to list out examples, specific examples and how we are to respond, how we are to give this acceptable worship. Well, he doesn't tell us everything there is to do. He gives us some important examples of how we are to worship God. And so in verse 1 of chapter 13, the author begins by saying, "Uh, let brotherly love continue. Uh, The word, the phrase uh, brotherly love in Greek in the word is uh, Philadelphia that's how the biggest state in the uh, in the US get its name philo is love Adelphia is brothers uh, Well, we say it's brotherly love but in Greek it actually it can actually, it actually means love for brothers and sisters as well uh, it is a very brief instruction only a few words uh, but this brief instruction includes a whole lot of other things uh, because to love each other is means to care for each other's needs in every different areas of our life. And if you are to love each other sincerely, it requires a lot of effort and energy. Uh, previously in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the author said that one important way to love each other uh, is to exhort one another to hold fast to our faith in Christ uh, so that none of us are tempted by the deceitfulness of our sins and fall away. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the author says we must meet up with each other regularly. We must not neglect our meeting up so that we can stir up each other to love and to do good works. And if we are to follow this exhortation to love, it will mean a lot of effort on each of us to care for the other. Uh, In fact, there's yet the simplest and yet most important thing for us to do as we follow this. Uh, which is to spend more time and effort to get to know our brothers and sisters in church. Well, the truth is that probably many of us do not know the others very well. We probably have a deep relationship with only a handful of people here. And the others usually say hi in the beginning and then bye at the end. Or the most, we shake each other's hand uh, during greeting times. Well, if we do not know them well in the first place, how are we going to exhort them? How are we going to encourage and love them? Yes, I know. I know it is impossible for us to have deep relationship with every single member of our church of this size. But at least we should try to know more people in the church and to form deep and meaningful relationship with them. And I guess the best place to start uh, is the time before and after the service where we make effort to stay a little bit longer, to chat with one another, or even initiate to go out for dinner uh, together. Well, why do we need to make all these efforts? Because the author says, our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ will last forever. The ESV here translate verse 1 as, let brotherly love continue. In fact, the word continue can also be translated as remain. Uh, the same greek word is in chapter 12 verse 27 uh, back then the author says at the end of history god will judge all sins and all evils and then in the end all that remain will be the unshakable kingdom and then now he adds also that what will remain is our love for each others under christ in christ because our love for each other is pleasing to god It will last forever So let brotherly and sisterly love continue. Next up in verse 4, the author moves to the issue of purity. Uh, He says here in verse 4, Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And the way to honour marriage is to avoid sexual immorality and adultery. Uh, There is a difference between adultery and sexual immorality. Adultery is sexual relationship between two parties who are not married, and one of them is actually married to the other, to another person. There's adultery. Uh, well, sexual immorality is a bit broader, uh, sexual immorality includes adultery, uh, but sexual immorality also includes the sexual relationship between two single persons who are unmarried. The Bible tells us that all sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality because it is how he designed sex and marriage. Sex is only to be enjoyed within marriage. And anything outside of that will bring disastrous consequences for us and in the future. And so here the author adds a warning. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Well, if you see many instances of the Bible where he speaks about spex- uh, sexual purity, it usually follows with God's strict judgment. You always follow that because God knows that sexual sin is one of the biggest problems for humanity. And because of that, only God knows that only the reminder of His strict judgment and His absolute standard can curb our often insatiable and sinful sexual desire. After all, how many stories we have heard of Christians and even pastors who have left the church because of sexual immorality and adultery. And so it is important for us to be reminded of God's judgment and standard in this area. But more importantly, as Christians, uh, we have to know that our primary motivation in keeping God's law is not because we are saved by doing those laws. Uh, It's not as if we do not do good enough, then God will not forgive us and judge us. No, but on the other hand, our primary motivation is because we have been forgiven of all our sins, including our sexual sins. And we will be forgiven whenever we bring our sins before God and repent of it. And because we are forgiven, we know God's love, we love God, and so we love the holiness that God showed to us. Uh, because we are forgiven we come nearer to god we see clearer what god's holiness is and we desire to do that more and so not only the judgment of god the reminder of the judgment will help curb our sinful desire uh, but ultimately it is god's grace that will motivate us to pursue holiness and if we know god's holiness truly uh, then we know that his standard is not just about avoiding sexual intercourse outside of marriage because as jesus says in the gospel of matthew chapter 5 that whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart therefore as we pursue god's holiness it means also to keep our minds and our heart pure all the time every day every single hour it means not fantasizing over another person who is not our spouse Uh, it means not going to the pornographic websites it means not watching porn videos and so the author says brothers and sisters honor marriage let the marriage bed be undefiled and then the author moves on to address another desire that's very hard for us humans to resist, which is the love of money. In verse 5, the author says, Keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, when it comes to money, uh, all of us need to earn and use money, uh, and that is perfectly fine. Uh, but we have to know that loving money and using money is altogether different. Jesus says in the gospel, if you love money, you will hate God. And if you truly love money, you'll probably do a lot of sinful things in order to make more money. And we know that many people have oppressed and cheated those who are under them just so that they can earn a little bit, a little bit more money. And so the author says, in order for you not to love money, You have to be content with what you have now. Uh, Do not buy into the lie that you'll only be happier if you have have more money. Uh, Even the circular wisdom will tell us that those who are richer are not necessarily happier. Uh, Even a more comfortable life will not necessarily bring more happiness. Uh, In fact, those who are not happy are not because of a lack of money, but because of a lack of contentment. Therefore, the Bible says, do not love money and be content with what you have now already. Uh, This is a great wisdom for us. But there's even a more important truth in this passage uh, that the author says will help us to be contented. They will allow us to truly cease the pursuit of more material possessions. Because here it says, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. You see, God has already given Himself to us through Jesus Christ. Through our faith in Jesus, He has brought us salvation, and He has promised us eternal security and blessing. Therefore, even if our life is really uncomfortable, even if we are really lacking money, so to say, we can still be content with what we have now, because God will never forsake us. And then in verse 6, it says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear anyone. This is another important truth that will help us not to love money. Because we know that money often is not just money. Money brings us power. Money brings status and authority. For many who love money, it is because they are afraid. They are afraid that they have no status in this society. They are afraid of being looked down or being bullied by the richer ones. And so God says here, He is our helper forever. Even if we are being bullied now because we are not rich, it is only temporarily. It will only be a little while. Because soon we will receive the unshakable kingdom of God if we hold fast to our confession. Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not love money and do not worry that you do not have enough of them. And then in verse 7, uh, the authors want uh, the readers to remember those who used to spoke the word of God to them. Uh, those who spoke to them past tense, uh, these are their previous leaders. And most likely these leaders have passed away because he says, uh, consider the outcome of their life. Or rather consider the end of their life uh, these leaders are, are those who have uh, who have passed away and even as they approach their death they hold on to their faith till the end and so the author says imitate these people as they hold on to Jesus all the way to the end of their life and he says we can imitate their faith because the Christ the Jesus that we we believe is the same as the one that they, that they believe he said in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So believe in the same Jesus also till the end of your life. And then he continued in verse 9, uh, because the truth that God revealed through Jesus will never change. He says, therefore, do not be led astray, be not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Uh, because there's only one truth and that one truth will never change therefore all the other teachings are wrong uh, there will be always be different kinds of false teaching there will be different kinds uh, of cults. it'd be quite impossible for us to know them all thoroughly and to figure out why they are false even as we speak there are always new false teaching coming out uh, therefore the best way to avoid this false teaching uh, is to know the truth of christianity well uh, if you know the truth of christianity well then we know everything that is different from it is false and the best way to do that is to know your bible well uh, know for yourself from god's word uh, all the details of the unchanged truth and here in verse 9 uh, the author zoom in in one specific kind of false teaching which is the kind of false teaching that has to do with food. Verse 9, the author says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which has not benefited those who are devoted to them. Well, you may wonder what kind of religion teachers its followers that they will benefit from food. Uh, Most likely, the author is referring to Judaism, uh, where there is strong emphasis on following the food laws and also strong association with eating the meat of the animals that have been sacrificed to God. And so when the author says, food have not benefited those who devoted to them, he meant that all those food laws, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, uh, those things will not truly cleanse their sins. It is is something that the author has emphasized many times in the previous chapters. Uh, And here he reminds them again, that ultimately it is only the perfect sacrifice of jesus it is only through the blood of jesus that was shed for us they can cleanse our sins completely and what jesus has achieved for us the author summarizes as the grace that comes from god therefore we must know that external food and riches cannot bring us salvation cannot strengthen our hearts It is only the grace of God that comes through the death of Jesus. Uh, In fact, the kind of false teachings, their strong emphasis on food and ritual, uh, is still very much alive today. It's still very prevalent among us. Uh, The Seventh-day Adventists uh, believe that you must keep certain food laws in order to please God, in order to be right with God. If you are a Seventh-day Adventist follower, you cannot eat seafood And some Roman Catholics truly believe that the bread and wine that they partake during the Mass has special power. They believe that only if you eat those bread and wine during the Mass, then your sins can be forgiven. The author says, Do not be led astray by those diverse and wrong teachings. It is only the grace of God that can save you and strengthen you. And the way we receive the grace is not through food, not through external riches. It is through trusting in God's unchanging word and embracing his truth. And then as the author continues, again, he reinforces uh, that the sacrificial, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, uh, it is not for them to emphasize on those food and animals. Uh, those system is, the system is meant to point the truth about what Jesus has done. He says in verse 11 that the bodies of those animals uh, whose blood has been sprinkled in the holy place in the altar, after the blood has sprinkled, the bodies of those animals are taken outside the camp to be burned. And so the priests have no right to eat those meat. Uh, This is what we've read in Leviticus chapter 4 just now. It is required that these animals are burned outside the camp because these animals are sin-bearing sacrifices. Uh, they are bearing sins that is considered unclean before God and therefore they are not fit to be in the camp so again the author wants to show that the importance is not the meat of the animals uh, but the bearing of sin by those animals that it is only by taking away the filthiness of sin to the outside of the camp can those who remain inside those who make the sacrifice be acceptable before God and this point to the fact that when Jesus suffered, when he was hung on the cross, uh, it was not inside Jerusalem, but he was hung outside the city. And this showed that what Jesus did for us was to bear the filthiness of our sins so that we can be made truly clean before God. However, there's another layer of meaning that can be drawn from the fact that Jesus suffered outside the city. There is yet another rich meaning to that fact, which is that he was rejected by the Jewish people who are living in the city Jerusalem. Uh, The Jews did not believe that Jesus is God, and thus they delivered him up to the cross. And so the reproach that Jesus suffered outside the camp uh, was the reproach of these rebellious Jewish people. Uh, He suffered the shame uh, that was given by these people. And the original reader who received this letter, they also have to suffer the reproach of these Jews. In fact, the original readers themselves, they were Jews. Uh, But they did not follow the the Jewish mainline uh, mainline Judaism. They did not follow uh, the Jewish leaders. They believed that Jesus is a savior of the world, unlike the many of the Jews. And so they were oppressed, they were opposed by their own people. They were ostracized, they were persecuted, they were kicked out by their own Jewish community. And so they also have to suffer the shame of being outside of their social group. And it is what the author meant when he says in verse 13. He says, let us go outside the camp like Jesus and bear the reproach that Jesus endured. Uh, The author is saying that there will be reproach and shame from those who oppose Jesus. Uh, You have endured it before. So now continue to bear that shame and continue to believe in Jesus. Uh, It will be the same for us as we believe in Jesus. There will be reproach and shame from those who oppose our God, our Savior. Uh, For some of us, we are very good at protecting ourselves. Uh, We can anticipate what kind of actions will invite shame and ridicule from those around us. Uh, like being too zealous for what we we believe to be the truth of God, or being too passionate in wanting others to hear the gospel. And so we may subconsciously do certain things or do not do certain things uh, in order to avoid this shame that we anticipate. But here we are told, let us go outside to Jesus and bear the reproach that He endured. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not worry too much the shame or the reports that you anticipate. Rather, concentrate on how we should follow Jesus, what is the right thing to do, how important and how joyful it will be to make known the gospel to others. On the other hand, uh, some of us may not be very good at defending ourselves. Maybe many of us as Christians find ourselves at the receiving end of terrible shaming, of terrible persecution. Uh, What the author says here about bearing the reproach, it does not mean that we cannot defend ourselves. It doesn't mean that we cannot protect ourselves from terrible abusive behavior. Well, it's true that we should never retaliate in force. Uh, We should never give up our faith. But maybe some of us can strive to stand up more for our rights when it is possible. Uh, But the truth is that even as we do that, uh, reproach will come our way because we live in a sinful world surrounded by sinful people. As we seek to be those who are meek and humble in Christ, reproach will come our way. And the biggest comfort is that shame is not the final word for those who hold on to Jesus. Jesus has borne the ultimate reproach for us, the ultimate reproach of sins. Bearing it outside the city so that we can have certainty of hope for the future where in the kingdom God will wipe away every tears and sorrow and give us his joy and we come to a final important instruction uh, the author says in verse 17 he says here uh, obey your leaders and submit to them uh, well as a church leader myself and now i have to instruct you to obey to church to submit to church leaders Uh, perhaps there may be of uh, awkwardness here Uh, but i guess this is something that i cannot avoid Uh, because the responsibility of church leader is to teach rightly Uh, and teaching rightly includes pointing to the fact that it is important to submit those who are teaching god's words and by so teaching they are keeping watch over your souls making sure that you have a right relationship with God. I'm going to make quick, uh, four quick implications uh, from this important instruction. Uh, the first implication is that the congregation should obey and submit when the leader is teaching God's Word. However, when the leader is no longer teaching the truth, but rather distort God's Word so much out of shape that it is no longer worth to be called the gospel then I think there's no longer a duty to submit to this leader or remain loyal. And the second implication is that a leader is never perfect. Uh, Even those who are teaching God's word faithfully and accurately, even them, uh, they will have their shortcomings and weaknesses. Or even certain theological viewpoints, uh, they are not sharp enough. And therefore, because leaders are not perfect, Uh, obeying and submitting to these imperfect leaders uh, does not mean that there's no room for mutual learning and mutual correcting. Uh, There is room for mutual learning and mutual correcting. And therefore, the more mature members uh, of the congregation can and should approach the leaders in a loving manner when there are any shortcomings, any weakness, uh, where there's room for improvement. And a good leader should be humble enough to listen to them. Uh, But I should add that uh, because all leaders are imperfect, uh, therefore the congregation must not cease on the leader's shortcomings as an excuse to ignore his other teachings. They are faithful and accurate. Thirdly, it says here that the congregation should let the leaders do their job uh, with joy. Uh, As a pastor, I want to say that the biggest joy for me I uh, is to see Christians growing in the love of God. My biggest joy is to see people seeking a ways to follow God's commandment. Uh, leaders should be concerned to see people responding to God rightly. Nothing more, nothing less. And therefore, all we have to do uh, is to respond to God rightly as we submit to those authority. Fourthly, here it also says that do not let the leaders groan in doing their job well we all may know of occasion where this happened Uh, this happened when congregation member refused to listen to the correction and exhortation of the leader usually it happens when the leaders attempt to correct certain wrong behaviors or to correct certain wrong understanding of the Bible then resistance will arise after all who likes to be corrected Uh, we all naturally defend ourselves when we are told that we are wrong. But it is where the leaders of God's words are important, for their job is to strive to point out where we have failed in listening to God, where we have failed in leaving God's word out. Therefore, do not let them groan in doing their job of looking after your souls. It will be no advantage to you. Let them do it with joy instead. And in the last few verses, the author asked them to pray for him uh, and his fellow workers, uh, that they will act honorably in all things. And then in return, uh, the author prayed for the readers, uh, pray for these Christians that God will equip them to do God's will, uh, that through the Holy Spirit, God will give them obedience to obey, will give them strength and patience to keep his commandments. And then finally, in verse 22, the author says to them, please bear with my word of exhortation. Please bear. He said this in, in anticipation that some of them might find it very difficult to receive all the strong exhortations of his. Indeed, today, uh, there are some challenging instructions for us here. It may be quite difficult for us, some of us, to bear with it. Uh, but please bear with it because these are the good commandments from the God who saved us. Uh, He is teaching us how to respond to His grace by offering acceptable worship uh, with reverence and awe. Let us pray. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, May this God equip us with everything good, that we may do His will, that He may work in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.